Welcome to the 91st installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. In this installment, we continue our series featuring a presentation on decision-making given by organic farming pioneer Atina Diffley during a recent session of LSP's Farm Beginnings course. In this seventh installment of Diffley's presentation, she talks about how setting up worst-case and best-case scenarios can help in good decision-making. So, let's just talk about worst-case scenario. You're making decisions, and they're big decisions. If you're deciding whether I should pick the broccoli before I pick the cabbage or the cabbage first, it's not that big a deal. You really don't have to think about worst-case scenario. If I pick the cabbage first and it rains, oh my God, it's going to be a disaster. I mean, that might be a component. You might think about that, but I'm really going to address bigger decisions right now. If you're making a really big decision, you really want to ask yourself and do a worst-case scenario plan. You know, if I make this decision, what really negative thing could happen? What could positive thing could happen? Um, but ask yourself that. And this is really a little extreme, but I want to give you this concept in a visual way. And I've made a really big decision. We're, we're sitting there going, the question is, we don't want to run the farm anymore. What should we do? And we came up with all sorts of strategies. One of our strategies was, well, we could sell the business portion, our name and our equipment, to the Wedge Co-op. So that was a strategy. It is the strategy we ended up choosing and ended up doing. But that was a pretty big decision. I have a question. Yeah. Did you know that was an option at the time, or were you just assuming it might be an option? Uh, both. If that makes any sense. Yeah. They're passing simultaneously. Okay. Yeah. Could you just share a couple other Some other options? options? Yeah, what were some of the other options you were? Well, we had some employees <laughs> that had known this a couple years, and we considered maybe they would like to run it, and maybe we keep farming long enough with them to really get them to where they want to do it. Um, one of the pressures that we had on this decision was our location being so close to the urban area. And the land prices were like going up every single day. We've already been developed off of one farm. We know what development looks like. Um, development was a factor in this decision. And we knew that whether it's today or 10 years or 50 years, eventually that land is going to be worth so much money somebody's going to say we can't afford the farming. So this was a big parameter for us. We were going, well, it's quite possible we can figure out this, this transfer, but the next transfer is going to get really hard. And even though we're financially stable and economically viable, when we transfer this farm, it's going to go through a period of instability. And because we recognize this um, unique challenge of being so close to the urban area and rising land prices, we came up with this concept of well, if we sell it to an entity that never has to pass the land, then the only thing they have to pass is the knowledge. They don't have to pass the land. So it doesn't really matter so much if the land is worth so much money because it doesn't have to be, it's only going to matter if there's have to be debt taken on and this whole thing. So we kind of got this concept, they'll just have, they can own the assets, this entity, which the Wedge Club is an entity, they can own the assets for 100 years and they never have to pass them. They just have to pass the knowledge from human to human. So back to my beginning of the three components, the land, the people, and the business. So in this decision, we were looking at those three components. We own this land, we were the people, and then we had the business. We can't sell the people portion. That's the part we're going to be trading. I mean, the different people are going to come in. We sold the, the business portion, which was the name Gardens of Eden, 
and the equipment. And then they lease the land and have a purchase option, so they can also purchase the land. So we're looking at a pretty big decision here. It's going to change the rest of our lives. We can't take this back. Even if we sell it to them and they sold it back to us and we farmed it again, it would change the rest of our lives. Very big decision. So we really wanted to look at worst case scenario and best case scenario and what potential outcomes. So our question is, what's our exit plan? We know we don't want to, we wanted to do some other things with our life. It's not that we hated farming. We really are still very passionate about farming, but we got to a point where we had done this and we wanted to do other things and focus and develop other parts of ourselves. And we always knew that would come at some point. So the question is, what is our exit plan? This is one of the strategies that we decided we wanted to take a really hard look at. So this was a big process. We probably spent two days on this, this way of looking at it. And what we did was we wrote these various potential consequences of making this decision. So one potential consequence is that the wedge will do really great. The farm will thrive. It's going to be around for 200 years. It's going to, you know, all this kind of stuff. That's a potential consequence. Another potential consequence is the day after we sell it, all the equipment dies and they're going to hate us forever. <laughs> I'm just making these up right now. They're not necessarily the ones we did. But I'm giving some examples of just what could happen. If we make this decision, what could happen? What possibility could happen? And then we labeled them all either positive or negative. And that was a really interesting process because sometimes one of us thought that was a positive consequence and some one of us thought it was negative. And then we did it again. And we made a rule that you had, a, on each of these tiers, you had to have at least one positive and one negative. So you could have all negatives except for one. My husband's really masterful at the negative possible consequences. <laughs> um, so I usually have to do the balance of the positive. So then we go, okay, what was this example, the 250 years? So if that happened, what potential consequences could happen? Well, one could be, so you were asking the very same thing of this question. One potential, if the wedge owns a farm and it does extremely well and it's passed on for 250 years, one potential consequence is the Twin Cities has a really stable source of organic food. Another one is lots of people get an opportunity to farm. Uh, another one could be lots of people get exposure to farming. You know, so we get all of these different potential consequences. And then we took those, and we actually did this three tiers out, taking all those. So it took a lot of paper off space. But it really got us really thinking outside of the box. Because this was a really hard decision for us. Because it, it was our whole life's work. And we were making a really big decision. So then, there were some of these potential consequences that looked so terrible, they were stopping us. Just like, my gosh, if that thing could happen, not this one, that was a good one, but you know, some other one that looks so bad, we just don't want to do it, it's not worth the risk. So then, those ones that really looked scary, we'd ask ourselves, how serious is this, if this happened? And we might say, this is really serious, if that's why we're so scared. We might say, you know, out of one to five, it's only one, it's not that serious, we can live with it. And then we'd ask, how likely is it? Because something might look really serious as a potential consequence, but it may be just so highly unlikely. So it helps you analyze a little bit just what risk you are taking. You know, you're identifying what potential consequences can happen, and then you're, you're asking yourself, how serious is that, and is it very likely? And a lot of times those really serious ones are really not very likely. Um, but going through that process can also help you get that emotion out of it, which can be really helpful. Um, 
And then the other great thing about this is <coughs> you end up with your plan B. And it's really great when you're making a really big decision to have that plan B because you know you have how you want the outcome to be, but it might not be the way that you want it to be. And so what are you going to do? We really had plan Bs, for example, when we built a machine shop on our farm. We were putting out about $100,000 to build a heated machine shop and with a very specific goal of using it for farming. What if we stop farming? What are we going to do with this machine shop? It's $100,000 invested in this. So we had a plan B, and C, and D, some other options of what we might do. Thought about it ahead of time. So it brings you to your final test period. There's a lot of ways you can do test. You can have a strategy screen where you've listed criteria that you want um, your decision to match. I'm, I, I'm on the Moses board for the Moses Farming Conference, and we have a, what's called a strategy screen. So sometimes when we're looking for a strategy, how we're going to deal with solving a certain thing, we'll run into our strategy screen. It's a list of questions. It says, this, how, how much does this serve our mission? Is this a financially balanced project? Those kind of strategies. For my farm, you know, I might, I have a strategy screen actually now in my life. Because after I quit farming, even though I had all the stuff I wanted to do, which is part of the reason I quit farming, you know, it was a pretty big adjustment to go from all, all the time farming to getting up in the morning and I didn't have something that I necessarily had to do. I had a lot of things I wanted to do. But I didn't necessarily have something I had to do. So I actually developed a strategy screen to help me at first make decisions. Because I kind of wake up in the morning a little bit like, well, should I just read a book or should I go do something that I really want to do? I really felt a little lost. It was such a big change. Um, so some of those strategies were I identified what's really important to me in my life as far as values, and one of them was um, getting more farms and farmers into organic production, more land and more farmers. So you know that was one of my strategies if I'm looking at some work I might do, which is one of the reasons I wanted to be here today. I, I really value this concept. I want more farmers and farmers out there. So you can do a strategy screen, you know, based on what you're, what you really want to accomplish. That'd be one way of doing it, but. Testing these questions is really important. And some other questions that we'll ask, does the solution address the weakest link? It's a really important question. We've talked about that enough. I think you understand it. Uh, does this bring us, solution bring us closer to or further from our bigger picture goal and quality of life? That's a question we will always ask with any big decision, whether we're farming or not. We have a really clear understanding of our quality of life that we want to live. And you know that's an ideology. It's not actually that easy to do. So it's, I think of it more as like you draw your quality of life on a piece of transparency paper. And I, we would actually do that in our winter planning session when we would identify our quality of life. We'd actually do it visually because I'm really a visual person and it would really help me. And so then when we would do like the decision that our plan for that year was going to be improve our delivery system, I would actually take that transparency my quality of life picture and lay it on top of it. You know, and that's just, it worked for me because I'm really visual and then I could get a better sense of it. It might not work for someone else. But that was a really key test for me. And I think those top two are probably really key for everybody. Um, do we need it? Can we live without it? That's a really important one. I'll give you a really good example. This kind of meets that weakest link too. Cause and effect, driver, meets this driver. There was a farmer in the community who um, had really low land, really wet land. And he was having a lot of trouble with his land in the fall. and. His soils would get really compacted and he'd have a lot of disease issues because he had too much moisture in the land. And he identified that he had too much moisture and he identified that there wasn't enough air in the land. 
So he decided that what he needed to do was to buy a $60,000 mother tractor that'd be able to get into that field and cultivate in really wet conditions so he could get air into the lab. He was treating the symptom. The symptom was not that you know, he needed to get the air in there. He needed to look at his land issue and fix his land issue. He needed to either move it or get so much organic matter in there that the water, you know. He was really going at this rock. Did he need that mother tractor? No. He could have lived without that. He could have done something that was much more of a cause and effect that would have addressed the weakest link. Um, and then do we need it? Can we live without it? Do we have to own it? Would it be better off to rent it? A lot of times we think we need something and then it's going to solve our problem. And usually things don't solve a problem. Usually it's information or changing a system that solves a problem. You might need a material object to change the system. But if you don't have a clear concept of what system you're changing, you're probably really not getting at what you really need. In this case, he really this tractor did not solve this problem. And it's sunk a pretty deep debt for him that he struggled for a long time with. Then he got lucky because he got flooded. <laughs> and he got a bunch of money, so it's not his but that was luck, not skill. <laughs> um, sometimes you're lucky. Can we sell it tomorrow for what we paid today? We always apply that to any equipment we purchase. Well, you know, if you couldn't sell it tomorrow for what you paid today, you maybe paid too much. That's kind of a simple concept. Now, if you're buying something new, it will be worth less tomorrow than what you paid today, and that's just the reality of new things. We haven't bought many new things in our farming career. I think maybe three three things that we bought new and because they were specialty items or we had them personally um, made for us by someone that we went in and said we want this and they made it or um, because we like when we bought our pack line we didn't want to buy a used one we wanted to have new gears and new everything um, so those were choices where we knew we bought it and we couldn't sell it for what we paid for it but in general most of what we buy we could sell for what we paid for it so we know it's a pretty good investment. Um, what's, what's it going to cost us if we don't do it? That's a really important question because it might not really be as important as you think or it might be super important. And when you're looking at what it's going to cost you, you're not just looking at money. Like if we hadn't bought the delivery truck, what would it have cost us to continue to do that? It probably would have cost us our marriage. That's a pretty expensive cost for the person I want to spend the rest of my life with as a married partner. So those costs are not just dollar costs, they're labor. How exhausting is this on people's bodies? I didn't ask that question quick enough, and my elbow is pretty shot. I'm not going to be able to really um, do certain physical things in my life from now on because I didn't ask that question and recognize and take care of my body in the right way. Another question, we get to bring all the emotions back in. You really want to say, how does this feel? And sometimes, you know, it's a, just a conversation and you're going back and forth a little, this feels scary or this feels whatever it feels. Um, sometimes it's really hard to get at that emotion because it's just hypothetical. You haven't actually done it yet. Um, so if it's a really big decision, we make the decision. We make it one way or the other. Like for the example, so under the wedge, we made the decision, we are going to do this. We shook hands with each other, we made an agreement between him and me, my husband and I, Martin and I, we wrote it down on a piece of paper. We did little things like that. They may just seem, you know, sort of silly, but it made it more real to us. We made that decision, and then we slept on it. In the morning, we'd say, how does it feel, the decision this morning? Like, oh, maybe it was really scary, or I'm afraid of this. And maybe we slept on it for a week. And then we consciously made the other decision. We made the decision we're not going to do it. And if we had just discussed what would it be like to do it or not do it, we really wouldn't have gotten at how we really felt about it at the same level. And that's 
You know, I brought up intuition before and I didn't really explain it. That helped us get a lot closer to the intuition on it. And how does it feel? And then what's your intuition? What do you really, you know, what is your body telling you that you should do? There's a really different answer. So I, I think this is a really key decision test on that sleeping on it because it makes it more real. And it's going to help you get at the bigger parts of it. And it's going to help you get at what's, what you're afraid of. Because a lot of times what we're afraid of looks really impossible. Um, and there were like a lot of things I was afraid of in this decision, for example. It was a big decision. And by really getting to the heart of what I was afraid of, I could write it down. And I could start to work with those fears in a logical way. Like, how serious is that? How likely is that? Um, if it did happen, what would I do? What could I do? So those are a really great way of getting at that kind of deep stuff. Because farming really, um, it's, a hard, it's a hard life to choose. And there's so many things beyond your control. And they're going to make decisions that are going to reduce the risk of those variables. But then, you know, it's going to happen. Opening chapter of my book, Big House Farming. <laughs>